Hello and welcome to another episode. Jazz snaps on the side of the on the side of the mic. Hello and welcome Hello, to another Lord. episode of Laidback Lush, a little podcast where we talk about wine, beer, and spirits. Okay, we're off. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I am Michael, a former wine sales associate as well as vineyard worker. And I am Gabe. I am WSCT Level 3 certified in wine, and I'm an administrator for a wine and spirits educating body. Fantastic. And we on the spirits portion of our podcast are today going to be talking about a subsection, which unfortunately is not known as a subsection, but rather as the major distributed and uh, and known type of mezcal, tequila. Yes. Uh, so tequila, uh, as many of you know, is a clear white distilled liquor. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. You can have some variation, but it is typically going to be fairly clear, if not all clear made from the agave plant uh and it is a subgenre or a uh a subtype subtype of mezcal Indeed. from mexico but today we are going to be getting a little bit more specific because as we mentioned in our last episode it has its own little story so gabe if you would like to get us started because there is actually a little bit of a unique history when it comes to tequila absolutely so i will start by saying if you want kind of the before 1600 that I'm about to jump into story of how this drink was discovered, listen to the Mezcal episode that we did. I don't remember the episode number, but uh, it's a fun yeah. episode in my opinion. And we talk more about kind of the history, history behind how yeah. agave was even discovered to be something viable as an ingredient for distilling. How agave became uh, became known for alcohol, how it then was used for distillation is all covered in that episode. Yes. So... Let's fast forward to about the year 1600. We have Don Pedro Sanchez de Tagle, and he was the Marquis of Altamira. And he started producing tequila at the very first factory in Jalisco. Now, Jalisco, if you don't know, is technically speaking the state in Mexico that produces the vast majority of tequila. We will get into the other states here in a second, but just know Jalisco was the birthplace of tequila, and it is still considered to be the epicenter of tequila production. Then we move on to 1608, and the Spanish king, King Carlos IV, gave the Cuervo family, if you know Jose Cuervo, this is actually the same family, although I think they're owned corporately now. I don't mm -hmm. think they're a family venture anymore. But King Carlos gave the Cuervo family the first commercial tequila license ever, and that is what really kicked off tequila production in Jalisco. And then we have Don Cenobio Sousa. I know we say this every time we talk about anything that's not English-related, but just we are two very white men yeah. <laughs> trying to speak Spanish right now. Again, if you do know how to pronounce these things and you would like to give us a hand, please message us at LaidbackLush with the correct pronunciations. Yes. So, Sousa was the first exporter of tequila to the U.S. in the 1880s. He said at one point that there cannot be tequila where there are no agaves. And this led to the practice of tequila. This really cemented it being something that is produced in Jalisco. Yeah. So, fun fact, I know we mentioned, or Michael mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that tequila is a subtype of mezcal. A fun little tidbit is that mezcal de tequila 
was the original name for tequila. So even way back then, it was known as a form of mezcal. And then that basically just got simplified for the dumb, stupid American consumer. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like as we started to import it, we started to import larger amounts of tequila than basically anything else. And I know that a lot of things are are used for uh, cocktails, but tequila in particular, I mean... Uh, it's mostly a mix... Or, well, shots and or mixing. Yeah, it is mostly shots, though, that you'll see people taking at different bars. Um, people with get, lime. With lime. Uh, although, if you know what you're doing, get it with an orange slice. It's so much better. I have never tried that, but that oh, does sound very compelling, It's so actually. good. Maybe we'll what do that. What about grapefruit? I haven't tried it with grapefruit. I feel like that would be very interesting, at least depending on the kind of tequila. Yes. So people will be taking uh, shots of tequila a lot of the time, or it'll be mixed into... Uh, Namely margaritas. Yeah, margaritas. Which was invented, ironically enough, by an Irishman. Yeah. By was, accident. Who was visiting Mexico. Yes. Yeah. Good times. Good times. Good times. <laughs> it's actually a really depressing story, but let's not go into let's that. Let's not go into that. Yeah, that's different. That's that's the story of a cocktail. Yes. Um. Now... Tequila itself is actually one of the more specific of all of types of mezcal. True. Yeah. So instead of being kind of like a range of these different either exotic or cultivated uh, agaves, you can only use blue agave from Jalisco in yes. order to create it. So that brings us to how tequila is produced. And you probably have already noticed, but this will be one of our shorter episodes. We know we've hit you guys with a lot of uh, hour longers recently, so we're trying to keep this one pretty concise. Also, tequila is a pretty simple thing when you really look into it. So the production of tequila. Basically, uh, as with mezcal, we have our piñas, which are, when you look at an agave plant, big spiny spidery looking thing you shear off all of those um they're spines not spines yeah i guess yeah they were called spines so you shear off all these spines and you're left with the heart and the heart is the pina and this will then be roasted baked in an oven to break down these starches into simple sugars that can then be fermented mm-hmm now we have for tequila three primary ovens or um machines i guess i'll say that are used so we have our horno which is going to be a brick or stone oven and this is going to be the much more uh, traditional quality way of doing it this is going to cook the pinas for three to five days and then normally after this process they'll also cool down for like an entire day Mm -hmm. before they're then sent off for further production Then we have our autoclaves, which we mentioned in our Mezcal episode, but an autoclave operates very similarly to a pressure cooker. It steams and cooks the piñas. It's more efficient. It can handle larger amounts of piñas, but there is some debate on whether this produces the same quality of product that the Horno will produce. I am not versed enough in tequila to really tell you if there is a difference. I hardly ever drink it myself unless it isn't a cocktail. I'm not an aficionado, but I'm sure it probably makes at least a little bit of a difference because if you're doing brick or stone, there are just some other compounds that will yeah. kind of get put into this because these autoclaves are going to be steel, obviously, which is going to yeah. be neutral. And then we have our really hugely mass market way of doing it, which is the diffuser. The people who use this style, it would actually surprise you. 
sip my wine while you spill the tea, Michael. Mm, yeah, but of course. <laughs> um, so I, I'm a teetotaler, but I only drink wine. <laughs> okay, I can't even be mad at that one. That was that was actually pretty good. Yeah, you got it. I'm I'm two for two now. <laughs> I I want to be mad, but I can't be. Uh, so um, a diffuser is going to crush the pinas and extract the starches with hot water before cooking. I don't know because I didn't look at what the apparatus looks like. This kind of sounds similar to how certain washes are used in whiskey production, but I don't know if oh, it's... Oh, no, ex- it's, it's huge. Okay. It's huge. It's the size of a basketball court. Oh, all right. So this thing does everything, and it's it, it's not like a roasted thing. It, it shreds before roasting, right? So yeah. And a lot of times, it's more of a chemical cook. Okay. So these things are, yeah, they're just monster machinery things they take up space and arguably they create an inferior product it's just observable that there is less flavor from this process which some people like people who don't actually like flavor well i mean some people will say tequila doesn't have much flavor to begin with and i'm not trying to sound like i'm a big manly man here but i've always found it a little weird that people react so negatively to tequila shots but I guess if you do react negatively to tequila shots, maybe this method might make it a little bit more bearable. I don't know. I, I See, for me, it's the other way around. If it's all burn and no flavor, then I have nothing to latch on to. Like, I mean, that's my position, but I'm not even a big know. tequila person. Yeah. Like, it, when it comes to the flavor of tequila, I don't like it until I remember what it is, until I remember that it's the agave plant, and I start looking for the agave. I've had some tequilas that I've I've really enjoyed. Oh, um, me too. I, I'm, but those are more the sipping tequilas, not yeah. the let's take a oh, shot. Oh, yeah. It's not the Jose Cuervo. Sorry, Cuervo family, but... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, our pinas are then shredded and mashed. Uh, again, if they've been in a diffuser, that's already happened. But what we have is a byproduct from this process called bagasso. And bagasso is leftover pulp, essentially, and sometimes this is added back into the fermentation vessel to kind of help with the flavor complexity and give more flavor to begin with. The resulting juice from this process, which is called aguamiel, is fermented. It can be fermented in wood or in steel. Steel is going to be the majority of your fermentation vessel, from my knowledge. At least for tequila. Yeah. And that is going to be called uh, mosto when it's put into the fermentation vessel. Think of it. It's basically like wort, if you're familiar with beer making. We have an episode on beer where we talk about wort. Well, and they can uh, then filter this and they'll use that product for basic drinking during special occasions or as a treat. Yep. So the mosto is then distilled into ordenaro which is the name for the first distillation. All tequila then will undergo a second distillation into Blanco and or silver tequila. Some producers will do a third fermentation, but some, well, most people... I mean, people, third distillation. What did I say? Fermentation. Oh, good lord, I am on one today. Third <laughs> distillation. And most people will say that that third distillation just strips too much out of it so most producers will not be doing that third distillation so you mentioned silver and you mentioned blocko what Mm -hmm. are some of the labeling terms so that people know how to navigate them and what are the differences that you'll notice when you purchase one of these bottles so let's start with blanco blanco is unaged or clear tequila that's why this second distillate can be released as blanco tequila Normally, it will kind of like wine be allowed to sit for maybe up to three months in some kind of stainless steel, sometimes maybe wood. 
vessel just to kind of mellow out. It can be called silver, platinum, or white, as well as Blanco. Technically, it can be aged up to 30 days in a barrel, but uh, that's pretty uncommon from my understanding. But just know it is legally possible, and that will just give a very slight hint of complexity. Mm. Then we move on to our Reposado. This is going to be barrel aged from anywhere between two months to a year. And I believe it cannot be in a greater barrel than 6,000 liters, if I remember correctly. There's a size limit on these barrels because if you've listened to our wine episodes, uh, you probably know that. The bigger the barrel size, ironically enough, the less barrel flavor gets into mm-hmm. the product. So you need to have a trade-off there. Then we move on to our Añejos. These are barrel-aged for at least a year. Then we move on to Extra Añejo, which is barrel-aged for at least three years. And the barrels for these two, uh, Añejo and Extra Añejo, are smaller technically than Reposado. I, you could use a smaller Reposado barrel, same size, but I don't remember exactly what the size is, but it is a smaller barrel for Añejos. so this is Añejos. about really concentrating that flavor mm-hmm. and affecting the color because yes. these take on more of like a golden, a golden yeah. amber type color. Yes, and these are the ones that I personally care more about. They're definitely much better, especially for sipping. But you tend to pay a pretty penny for these as well. So then we have our mixtos, which are tequilas that are at least 51% blue agave, but they can have other raw ingredients. So beetroots, um, any other kind of like something that can have a heavy starch content that you can then break down into simple sugars. This will say it's tequila. It normally won't say mixto. What instead the workaround is, is if it's a blue agave tequila, it will say 100% agave tequila Mm -hmm. on the label itself so if you don't see 100% agave it's likely that it is a mixto and it's a combination of blue agave with other ingredients Mm -hmm. then we have the newest designation which is cristalino this is aged tequila that has then been put through a charcoal filter and if you remember from some of our earlier episodes charcoal filters strip out color particularly it also strips out flavor So this is an aged tequila that looks like a Blanco. Mm. I'll say that. There is um, some controversy over this style because it's kind of like, why would you age this only to strip out flavor? But it's like a novelty, right? So it's... I'm actually, I'm curious about this because in addition to taking out color, it also tends to take out some more volatile substances that tend to make things feel less smooth. Yes. So I'm wondering if it just ends up making the resulting flavor smoother as opposed to having a less concentrated flavor i just but also potentially less interesting that's kind of the setback right Uh, setting the controversy aside it might state the aging term associated with what was done on the bottle so you might have a cristalino añejo and you know that this has been aged for at least a year but that was then filtered out it still has to meet the legal requirement for whatever aging term they're putting on before it was filtered. Yeah. In order to be called that. But those are our labeling terms. Uh, sadly, we do not have a tasting uh, lined up for you guys at the moment, but we hope that you've enjoyed our episode on tequila. Please message your questions, comments, concerns, suggestions. Not your concerns. We don't want to hear that. Uh, well, your concerns. But they have to be related. Like, 
you know, I don't want It wanna... can't be that my voice sounds too nasally in this episode or something. Your voice sounds okay, too yeah, nasally. Okay, yeah, you're the one that with allergies acting yeah. up right now. I'm, like, suffering right now. <laughs> I literally have had to, like, pause the podcast recording on several occasions just to clear my nose. Um, but anyways, we hope you've enjoyed kind of our shorter form. We're going to hope to kind of get these guys out to you. Hopefully uh, this doesn't, uh, if you're using us for your commute to work, leave you hanging for like 15 to 20 minutes. But Just listen to one of the older episodes again. It'll yeah, be great. Just, but not too old. Not too, well, <laughs> not too old. Yeah. Listen to the Mezcal episode. Yeah. Yeah. Refresher. Uh, but please do message us. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LaidBagLush. Um, a special shout out to the place that allowed me to try uh, Mezcal for the first time. Uh, being the Jasper. Uh, so thank you guys for that. How many times is that that we've shouted them specifically on the I podcast? I will shout point? them out as often as I can. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we, we've done it quite a bit. Yeah, well, not. I don't see the... Well, actually, it is kind of overcrowded. Actually, don't go to the Jasper. I want to be there, and <laughs> I hate having to wait. You're really harshing our vibe right now, yeah, guys. Please sorry. stop. <laughs> Anyways, thank you guys so much. I've been Michael. Hi, I've been Gabe. Cheers. Cheers.